0: We're looking this morning at Romans chapter 13 and just those beginning verses this morning Romans 13 1 through 7 Paul is in that context of this letter in which he is applying the gospel 11 chapters of doctrine about Christ justification sanctification adoption glorification the sufficiency of Christ everything in Jesus how the gospel works Now, Paul is in that section, beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, in which he says, and the gospel works everywhere. Now, here's how it will work in your life in all these different spheres. It always works. And so, here in chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, the apostle is telling us that the gospel works in the sphere of the Christians relationship to the civil authorities. And Paul now says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of god attending to this very thing pay to all what is owed to them taxes to whom taxes are owed revenue to whom revenue is owed respect to whom respect is owed honor to whom honor is owed the grass withers the flower fades but the word of god endures forever well, when paul begins to apply the gospel in chapter 12 of Romans, beginning in verse 1, he does something very strategic. He moves from the believer's relationship to God. Where does the gospel first apply? By the renewing of our minds. Let's do what is pleasing and acceptable to God. The first way the gospel works is that it makes the believer want to do what is pleasing to God. It has respect to God. Then he moves out from there a little further, and he says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. The gospel is application to us as individuals. Use the gifts that God has given you in the ways in which God wants you to use them. And then it works out further from there. Then Paul says, That love, flowing out of a heart that has been transformed by the gospel, ought to bear fruit in the relationship we have with one another. We're to love one another without hypocrisy, fervently. We're to love with brotherly love. And then out from there, Paul says the gospel keeps working. And he says, out from there, what about your enemies? What about those who have hurt you? What about those who have persecuted you? And he says, bless, do not curse. Do good, do not return evil for evil. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. And so you see, from God, to ourselves, to one another, to our enemies, Paul is saying in every relationship, the gospel has an impact, or it should, if you're a true believer. Now what's difficult about what Paul does next in chapter 13, verse 1, is it's not altogether clear why Paul is now moving to the civil realm. There have been attempts by uh, theologians and, and commentators to say, well, I think what Paul is doing is he's asking the question. Uh, if we're to bless those that persecute you, clearly you mean the state because the state is generally the one fueling persecution of Christians throughout human history here in this context, with Nero at the helm. and And so Paul must be saying, "How do we love our enemies when it's the state? I don't think Paul's saying that. I don't think Paul is attaching it to that. I think Paul is attaching it to what he has just said about vengeance being the Lord's and he will repay those that do wrong. And now what Paul's doing is he's saying God has appointed a sphere of life and society in which he, even in this life, brings vengeance against wrongdoers. And that's the civil government. Now, as we consider this this morning, I want to note something that Paul uh, gives a very general and direct statement about the Christian's responsibility in relationship to the civil authorities. And what's fascinating about what Paul does is Paul and Peter only on three occasions ever talk about the Christian's relationship to the government and never. Do they go into any extent about what kind of government the Christian is to submit to? We we have blinders on because we have been so privileged to live in a democracy with so many freedoms. Again, this is a social experiment. No one has ever had a government like we have had. Most of the governments have been kingdoms led by a king or a dynasty of kings. Others have been totalitarian in nature. Others in modern years have been Marxist or communist in nature. There have been fascist governments. There have been many kind of governments. And Paul's point is not to get into which one is best. Paul's point is to say to you, here is how you are to live as a Christian in light of what God has established in very general terms. I was thinking about this when the apostle picks up on the issue of slavery, and, and clearly Paul does not have in view um, uh, chattel slavery, that, that um, program in which um, Africans were kidnapped and put to force slavery against their will. That's evil. Paul says that if anyone owns a kidnapped slave or kidnaps a man, man steals, he is to be put to death. But when Paul speaks about indentured servitude in the context of Rome, he is not talking about whether it ought to be abolished or not. He's giving general principles to Christians and saying, if you want to know what difference the gospel makes in your life, where you are now in these spheres, here's how you're to live as a Christian. Remember, Paul will go on to say, if a slave can get free, then get free. Otherwise... Serve your earthly masters with an eye to the Lord, not as men-pleasing. Paul is doing something very similar here when he talks about the government. He is not giving a philosophy of government. He will talk about the role of government. He will talk about why God appointed government. He will explain where government comes from. But he will not give us a political theory for us to use as a weapon against others that we disagree with. There have been many movements that have done this throughout the history of the church. Let me say this this morning. There are essentially three or four different views of the relationship of the church and the state throughout human history. There is what has been called Erastianism. That the state exercises authority over the church. We don't believe that. That's what the Church of England believed. That's what the 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 Erastians uh, of the 18th century taught that the state controlled the church. There is then the opposite, that the church controls the state. That's different movements of theonomy or Christian nationalism or whatever people wanna package that at. That also does not have a standing in what Paul teaches here. What Paul teaches here is the view of participationism, that we are together cooperatively participating in what God is doing as the Lord over all. What I want us to see this morning after that long introduction is that Paul is teaching us that the Christian is to submit to the civil authority. Paul is explaining the role of the civil authority and Paul is explaining the implications of civil authority and the Christian's response to it. So he is giving the injunction, he is teaching the role and he is teaching the implications notice there in verse 1 the injunction let every person be subject to the governing authorities why does Paul have to say this because we by nature hate authority beginning with the fall everyone wants to be autonomous independent wants to be self-governed and doesn't want anyone telling them anything um, I almost think one of the great mysteries of life is that people can raise children and not realize the reality of the fall. Everybody that laughs, got what I was saying. Everybody that didn't, doesn't. <laughs> we all by nature hate authority. We hate to be told what to do, and so the apostle has to give injunctions and imperatives that regard the proper approach to the authorities that God has established. Now, God is the one who has established civil authorities. Notice, Paul says, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Notice again, Paul doesn't say, the governments that I really like, God has instituted, but these other ones he hasn't. Now, Paul is also not saying, and you have to listen carefully, he is not saying every government is good. He is not saying every government is doing what's pleasing to the Lord. And we will come to the Christian and civil rebellion at some point in this message, but the point, don't miss it, is that generally as an ideal, God has instituted governments and Christians, like other citizens, are to submit to the government and here's why because we're to submit to God. Behind the governments are the God that rules all things. The Bible says the hearts of the king are in the hands of the Lord and he turns it every which way he wants. Again it's speaking of God's ideal it's speaking of God's authority. Every other authority is delegated authority there's only one lawgiver there's only one who gets to tell us what is pleasing, what is good, what is evil. But he has instituted governments. He has seen it fit that this world and, and we need governments. Because the, the opposite of having governments is anarchy. And, and whoever would say, well, I don't want anarchy is missing the point of why Paul's having to say this. Listen to this. John Calvin said, there are always tumultuous spirits who believe that the kingdom of Christ cannot be sufficiently elevated unless all earthly powers are abolished. Calvin, writing in the 16th century, there are many who say, we don't need that. We should just be free. We're members of Christ's kingdom. We're, we're transcendent. My citizenship is in heaven. Well, Paul does say, your citizenship is in heaven. And he also says that you are citizens of particular societies and nations and governments. Paul himself was a Roman citizen. Paul would appeal to his Roman citizenship on numerous occasions in the book of Acts. He would make use of the privileges that he had in that civil sphere in which he found himself a citizen. When Paul wrote the different members of the churches, and you think about the way in which he wrote to the church in Ephesus, and he said to the saints and faithful in Christ, that's where we dwell, in Christ, in the heavenly places, in Ephesus. You see, Christians are citizens of two spheres, the heavenly world and whatever nation God has placed you in and to undermine that or to dismiss that or to buck against that is to undermine or dismiss the authority and the sovereignty of God. Notice that Paul says, notice what Paul says, he says, therefore whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed. Now, I know there's a thousand questions in your head, but what about, but, 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 what about? Again, listen, if you're going to all the whatabouts, you're missing the point. There's a general imperative that we are to submit to the governing authorities because we're to submit to the God who has established them for the good of society. Listen to this. I, I love this. Um, Ferguson says, I get, I get weary of hearing people complain about the government when they do nothing to benefit the society in which they live. Ouch. I get tired of hearing about people complain, me too, about the government when they are not proactively trying to make the society in which they live a better place for people to live in. It's easy to complain. It's easy to want to assert autonomy. It's much more difficult because it's spiritual and it's fueled by the gospel to have a proper view of my role in relationship to the authorities God has appointed. Now listen, this is really interesting. If you, want, if you want a proof, when you talk to unbelievers, proof about this being the truth and the word of God, let me put it this way. If this wasn't true, nobody would have written that. Oh yeah, I got you there. If this wasn't true, you and me wouldn't have written this. The fact that Paul wrote this verifies that the, the fruit of God in the lives of his people and the truth of God um, amplifies the truth of Christianity, especially as it is written by a man who was beaten, mocked, scourged, shipwrecked, thrown in prison, a man who suffered far more at the hands of civil authorities than you and I ever will suffer. And yet that one. Writing to Christians in Rome under Nero said, obey the governing authorities. Um, Now, let me say this. The government that we have does not determine the outcome of our lives. You need to hear that now. The government that we have does not determine the outcome of our lives. In fact, Paul is essentially saying, and I will argue with someone about this, maybe not right after the service, but some other time, but Paul is essentially saying a true believer can live under all kinds of different forms of government, and that doesn't in any way whatsoever affect what's going on in their lives spiritually. In fact, most of the Christians who have lived under totalitarian governments communist regimes put us to shame as Christians. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. They put us to shame as Christians. There are times when I have talked to believers who have suffered in Romania, thrown into prison for the gospel, so many times, and I think that's a real Christian. And they are not living under the sweet government that we get to live under. And yet we complain, and we gripe, we fuss, we fill our minds with whatever news channels telling us what we want to hear, and we fail to understand that God wants us to behave ourselves in a godly way toward the civil authorities. Listen, I think I told you this once. John Calvin, who also suffered a lot of persecution and opposition, and all the reformers in France, and all throughout Europe, under the Roman Catholic Church, under the domination of Rome controlling the nations against the, the Reformation and the Reformers. John Calvin writes the King of France in, I believe, 1551, at the preface uh, of his um, the preface of his commentary on Romans. He writes the King of France, and he basically says, "Listen, let us live, and we will do you good. Let us live, and we'll bless you." You see, Calvin understood this. He understood that there are many who just want to overthrow governments, get away from it, and instead he's saying, "Let's let's be a blessing." in the context in which God has put us. You know, very interesting, um, Jesus submitted to human governments, didn't he? Even ungodly ones, especially ungodly ones, who were going to seal his fate and put him on the tree. Now, Jesus doesn't say to Pilate, This is not a true government. I don't like how you're wielding your power. I don't like all the unjust things that you do. And it was an unjust government, but you know what Jesus said to him? He said to Pilate, you would have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. What is Jesus doing? He's saying the government is appointed by God. The same Christ who said my kingdom is not of this world said you would have no authority unless it had been given to you. You see, that's the principle. Now... The Christian is called to submit to the government. Listen to this. Westminster Confession of Faith says this, what about what about really wicked unfaithful governments? Infidelity or difference in religion does not make void the magistrates just and legal authority. That's in the Westminster Confession. Those governments that don't line up with everything that's right and good, that are not fulfilling the role that they ought to as ministers of God, are nevertheless not fake governments. They still have authority. They still have a right to wield the sword. Now, let's talk about the role of civil authority because this is so important. This is so important. The civil authorities that have been instituted by God are not instituted to control every aspect of our lives. Let me say that so that you hear that loud and clear. I heard this week one of our former president's wife, wife, don't don't think he has multiple wives, but his wife, one of the former first ladies saying the government does everything for the people. No, no it does not. In fact, Paul, as he develops this, is going to explain what role the civil authority is to have As the servant of God what and this is so important because many people don't get this you know whenever people say I think I'm fine with the government paying for college tuition don't understand the role of the government the role of the government is one thing it is to reward good and punish evil that's it that's the only God-given role that the government has you say, the only? Yes, the only. Notice this. Paul says, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers, this is the ideal, are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Why would you, would you not fear the one who is in authority? Then do what's good. Notice verse 4, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, he does not bear the sword in vain. It's interesting. The only role that the scripture attributes to civil governments is that, the rewarding of good and the punishing of evil. Now, the question is, what is good and what is evil? Well, notice when Paul comes down to the end of this and he moves into the realm where he talks about paying taxes, and we're going to talk about that, notice that he says at the end there, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. There is a debtedness, right? It is right for us to pay our taxes. It is right for us to give revenue. It is right for us to respect civil authorities. It is right for us to honor those that God has placed in authority over us. But notice this. Notice what Paul goes on to say in verse 8. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are all summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what has Paul done? He has essentially appealed to the second table of the Ten Commandments. And he has said, if you want to know what's good... You're a blessing to your neighbor. If you want to know what's evil, you are hurtful towards your neighbor in the ways that God has given us a clear revelation of his commands. Adultery, murder, theft, extortion, covetousness, slander, gossip, libel, the many other ways that God's law governs how societies work. And that means the government's wield the sword, or should wield the sword, against violations of those things that bring harm to society. That, that is the, that's the reason God gave us government. Listen, if there was no government, if there was no civil uh, uh, authority, it would be, the Wild West is is a light way of understanding what it would be. Everyone would take into their own hands their own thing, and God has understood that in this fallen world, there must be civil sanctions and injunctions and punishments of evil for a society to exist and for the good of its members. Now, I know you came into this sermon and you're like, but what about? I know that because I do that. What about? What about those governments that punish good and reward evil? I mean, we've seen more and more of that in our own government, and that's nothing like what the rest of the governments of this world are like. Punishing good, rewarding evil. Let me say this this morning. The scripture is very clear that wherever the civil authorities command you to do something God has forbidden you to do, or forbid you from doing something God has commanded you, you are to resist them. Listen, there's, there's a danger here. Some Christians go so far, whatever the government tells me, i got to obey them. Romans 13, I heard a lot of that three and a half years ago. A lot of that. Whatever the government tells me, we got to do it. Love your neighbor. That's not what this is saying. If the government tells us you cannot meet and worship, we disobey them. If the government tells us we cannot witness to the Lord Jesus, you disobey them. Where do we learn that? We learn that from the apostles. In Acts chapter 4, when they're arrested for preaching the gospel, Peter says, you judge whether it's better that we listen to God or men. We will listen to God and not to you, and we will keep preaching the gospel. The apostle Paul himself, when he was in prison in Acts chapter 16, and, and the, the prison guard comes to him and he says, hey, you know what, you're free to, you're free to go. The authorities decided they're going to let you go. And Paul says, no, you bring them in here and tell them to bring them out themselves because they have unjustly beaten us, uncondemned Romans. He defied the authorities um, whenever. The government commands us to do what God has forbidden that we do. So, for instance, in a communist regime that says you can only have one child and we're going to kill every other child, you do what the Hebrew midwives did and you disobey. You disobey. Um, When the Nazis come asking if there's Jews in your house, you do what Corey Timboom did, and you say, yeah, they're under the table, jokingly, while they're under the table. You do what Rahab the harlot did when she received the spies in peace, and she sent them out another way. But on the whole, whenever the government does not ask us to do something God has forbid, like Nebuchadnezzar when he told Daniel he could only pray to him, we defy the government. But wherever it tells us to do what is good in accord with God's law, we are to submit ourselves. Now, this gets difficult, I know. What about statu- statutory laws? You've said God is the only lawgiver. We only answer to the Lord. We only do what's pleasing to him. He determines what's good, he determines what's evil. What about civil statutory law? What about taxes? Well, um, Paul doesn't say you need to pay taxes because God commanded you to have a system of taxation. What he says is give taxes to whom taxes are due. They're not asking you to do what is evil. We may not like it. We may not like where taxes go. We may have all kinds of ideas about a better taxation system than the the crazy 10,000 word complicated IRS process. We may want just a flat tax. We may have all kinds of theories, it doesn't matter. Pay taxes to whom taxes are due. Give revenue to whom revenue is due. Um, in so much as the civil authority is not asking us to sin, we comply and we do it with a heart submitting to the Lord. Now, what does that mean when we come to the civil authorities and they ask us to do things, God? has not commanded us and yet are not evil in themselves. Well, remember when Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, the the temple tax is being pressed on us. And, And do we have to pay the temple tax? And you remember Jesus did that really awesome miracle where he brought money to him in the mouth of the fish. What a cool miracle. He didn't even need money. He could just have a fish bring it to him. Seriously, that's awesome. And and the purpose, he took that coin and he said to Peter, he said, Whose image is on this? And he said, Caesar's. And he did this at other times. And and then Jesus said, Give to Caesar, what is Caesar's? Give to God. What is God's? Whose image was on Peter? God's. God is the Lord of all. God is the one to whom we owe all things. But if God is placed in authority, a ruler who imposes taxations, we submit. Because the Lord tells us, though we are free, he says to Peter, nevertheless, lest we offend them, give this to them and us. You see, here's the principle we gain a witness to Jesus Christ by submitting in every way that we can submit to the governing authorities wherever they do not call us to do evil, whether we like it or not. We submit. And like John Calvin, we say to the government, let us live and we will do you good. We will be the best thing that happens to this society because we have the gospel. And the gospel has changed us and the gospel has made us a community of loving believers and the gospel has enabled us to love our enemies and the gospel has so transformed us that we live in loving fellowship with one another. Now, the government still has the role of bearing the sword Let me say this as we look finally at the implications. Paul says, why should you obey the governing authorities? Because he does not bear the sword in vain. Now, throughout scripture, the imagery of the sword is used to denote divine justice. When God brings an indictment against his people in the Old Covenant through the prophets, he sometimes says that he has whetted his sword. It is ready to be brought down on his people. And you'll remember that the imagery of the sword, and you have to listen very carefully, the imagery of the sword goes all the way back to the garden. Remember, after Adam fell and he was exiled, and he was sent out of Eden, east of Eden, God placed two cherubim with flaming swords to denote that his justice was so strict and that what man deserved if he tried in his own effort to gain life is judgment. That if you would go through those swords, you would become the object of the righteous judgment of God. In the Mosaic Law, There were certain things that were deserving of the death penalty, sorcery, adultery. Um, There were were seven or eight uh, actions that were deserving of capital punishment. When we look at that, we ought not think, you know, those people, they're really bad. They, they deserve that, but I don't. In fact, I believe God put the death penalty in the Mosaic Law to show to everyone what our sin deserves and the judgment we deserve and that we are subjects that deserve his righteous sword coming down on us. How do I know that? Because when Zechariah comes to speak about the Redeemer and the Messiah coming, he uses that illustration of the shepherd and, and the sword. And the Lord says, awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the one that is my companion. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Jesus quotes that in the garden as he's going to the cross. And then he submits himself to the governing authorities Have you ever thought about this? Why did the Lord Jesus subject himself in a court system to unjust rulers subjecting himself there? Listen, the Heidelberg Catechism, question 38 says, Though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge so that he would free us from the severe judgment of God that should fall on us. He took the sword that we deserve. Um... The hymn writer Anne Cousins puts this so beautifully in that hymn, O oh Christ, what burdens bowed thy head? She says, Jehovah bade his sword awake, O oh Christ, it woke against thee. Thy blood its flaming blade must slake, thine heart its sheath must be all for my sake, my peace to make, now sleeps that sword for me. You see, the sword that the civil authority bears and that God said we ought to be afraid of is a earthly representation of the greater judgment that we deserve. And so that if we are living, and listen very carefully, this is the beautiful thing. If we are living under the gospel, if we are acknowledging that Christ was condemned before earthly judges to take the condemnation that we deserve before the judgment seat of God, If we're living in light of that, then we're going to want to do what's good, and we're going to want to avoid what's evil, and when we take an inventory of how we do that in the civil sphere, we're going to want to do it there, the same way we're going to want to do it in the church, the same way we're going to want to do it in the home. You see, that's what Paul's saying here as he steps in to yet a further sphere of God's authority. You know, I want to say this. The the implication here is that if we do evil, we justly deserve civil punishment. If we do good, we don't have anything to fear. You know, I remember a number of years ago, the debate about the government spying on us through our phones, and I I remember thinking, you know, listening to people get really jacked up. If, if, If you have nothing to hide, who cares? I know you can say, I care. That's a principle. That's a violation of my personal space and my life. And I get that. There's a place to discuss those things. But if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. If you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. If you have done nothing wrong, you have no reason to fear. And the Lord is trying to motivate us to live godly lives in all of these spheres. Now listen, I'm going to say this. Here's another implication. The more we seek to do good, even in the political sphere, because God has appointed the civil authorities, the more we seek to do good, the more the gospel is spread, the more people hear about the grace of God in Christ, the more people are redeemed by Christ, the greater impact the church will have on the government. To be what the government ought to be, because listen, the government will never be what God intends for it to be. Unless his people are salt and light in their lives, doing good, submitting everywhere that they should and can, and seeking to make things better everywhere that they go. Listen, seriously, I'm going to say this this morning. If Paul could write one thing over this, besides the word submit to God's authority, he would say, be a blessing in this sphere. Be a blessing in this fear. Now, let me ask this this morning. And I'm asking this as one that is deeply convicted of my failings in this. How often do you pray for the governing authorities? And when I say pray, I have in mind what the Apostle Peter means when he says that we are to pray for kings and rulers and authority that we may live a dignified and quiet life. We should want good for them so that we can live a dignified and quiet life. How often do we complain, rant, fuss, and fume about all the problems we have? Yes, we have a wicked government, y'all. Yes. And it's not ungodly to note that. But how often do we pray for our leaders? And how often do we pray that we would model the gospel at work in us in relationship to them? I want to encourage you this morning. You may have lots of thoughts about this. Again, I don't want to talk to you about any of them after this service. Or get emails. Let's let a couple weeks go by and then we'll have a conversation. But I do want to say this is as important as how Christians are to live in the same body with one another. It's as important as how Christians are to use their gifts. Romans twelve three through 8 how we're to love one another, how we're to love our enemies. It's no less spiritual. It may feel that way, but it is just as spiritual. And the gospel works here. And so I want to exhort you this morning that if you were in Christ, you would make it your goal to submit to the governing authorities to do whatever it is they ask of you, provided they're not asking you to disobey God through what they command or what they forbid and that we would seek to be a blessing. What a marvelous thing if we all got off Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, and just got off everything, and we sought to live as Christians ought to live in light of the authorities that God has appointed. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, these are difficult truths. They are difficult to parse through, and yet you have made it very clear for us that your will is that we would submit to the authorities that have been appointed by you as those that should be rewarding good and punishing evil. Lord, would you help us to be men and women that do our utmost to obey them um, so that we do not offend them, so that we do not lose a witness to them. Lord, would you use us to bring about good and blessing in the society, even in the civil sphere in which you have placed us. We pray for our elected officials, Lord, for those here in Charleston, those local officials. Would you give us godly leaders? Would you give us men and women that seek to reward good and punish evil? Our God, we pray that you would make us men and women that prayerfully enter in on this for our own spiritual well-being and for the good of the society in which you've placed us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.